20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy New Year officially. Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Before we get started today, a quick shout out to our all new Packaday podcast members, William Tedley, John Draxler, Jill Brazer, Nick J, Kevin Stalsberg, and Xander. Appreciate you guys checking out the content and signing up to be Packaday podcast YouTube members. If you've not done so yet, make sure to check those out. Tons of great options available and what better way to start the year than as a new Packaday podcast YouTube member. So make sure again to check those out. Also a huge thank you to Maggie and Andrew for filling in for me yesterday. Um, obviously I had the chance to talk to Aaron Nagler today aired that episode, did the live post game show right after, but uh, had a New Year's party along with my friend's 40th birthday party. Uh, so wanted to make sure I got to that and really appreciate Andrew and Maggie filling in and they both did a tremendous job. So I hope you checked out that episode, uh, but we have tons to discuss, right? The, this was a pretty epic game in Minnesota. Haven't had the chance to give all of my thoughts on that. I did get through all of my grades and the all 22 film review on both offense and defense. So want to go a little bit over that. Obviously, we have some news from Monday as well, which we'll go through and then just kind of give some of my takes from the game that I usually would give right in the, the post game chat that I just haven't had the opportunity to talk with you guys yet. So we'll do that as well. Let's start with the news side of things as we all expected. In fact, I expected it a week ago, uh, but this was a no-brainer at this point. Bo Melton gets activated to the 53-man roster, just or I should say added to the 53-man roster. Samore Toure goes on IR. We're not sure the extent of the injury or what happened there. I think a lot of people were just expecting Toure to get released. I'm not sure if something happened maybe on the play where he muffed the punt. Uh, maybe he got injured on that play. I did think he played later. I think he had a, a catch right at the end uh, before they, they kicked the field goal to make it 33, uh, where he was in the flat and Toure had to go high to catch it. So I don't know if something happened at some point or if this is just basically a way to keep him on the roster without having to, uh, you know, subject him to waivers that they still, you know, would like to keep him uh, in his current contract on next year's roster. So instead of subjecting him to waivers and then trying to get him back on the practice squad, maybe he has an ailment that's going to keep him out this week and they're just like, screw it, IR. You never know in those sort of situations. But either way, Samori Touré's spot is now open because he is on IR and Bo Melton clearly and obviously gets added to that spot. Like I said, a complete no-brainer. And then they did have one, well, actually technically two other roster moves as well. Tyler Coyle was added to the practice squad. He is a safety. And then the other one is Jair Alexander's suspension was officially lifted. So his spot on the active roster is back there now. So no surprise there. This was expected that he would get activated uh, off the suspension list on Monday, but that did in fact go through on the transaction wire as well. But I want to go back and talk about Bo Melton for just a moment. What he has done in these past two weeks has been so insanely impressive. And I talked to you uh, three weeks or like after after he played three weeks ago against what would it have been Tampa and before the, the Panthers game. And I said there were a couple of plays that caught my eye on tape and just kind of made me do a double take. This is, I do not believe that this is your normal flash in the pan. Oh, they signed a guy from the practice squad and he had a couple nice catches. Like, look at that. I think there's something legitimately there with Bo Melton. And I'm, I mean, legitimately there. Like Jaden Reed goes out and Bo Melton basically just fills that spot. 
100 yards on the day, multiple deep balls. You would have loved for them to connect on that play uh, that on fourth down. And I think that's one of those plays where Jordan didn't throw a great ball, but it was catchable. Uh, Melton was put in a tough spot to try to catch that ball, but could have bailed Jordan out and just ultimately ends up sort of with a, a very difficult drop on that play. Um, I think both players would like to have that back. I think it's a little bit more on Jordan than it is on, on Bo in that specific situation. Maybe would like to see Jordan plant his feet and throw it. If nothing else, maybe just put a little bit more air under that because there's nobody near him just to make sure that's a, a clear and obvious completion. But they, we don't even have to worry about that play specifically because Green Bay just you know, kick the crap out of Minnesota anyway. And secondly, because Jordan and Bo both had such phenomenal days, even, you know, regardless of that one miscue uh, on fourth down. But what I've seen out of Melton is pure speed, is a understanding of how to get open in zone, is a way, is a real understanding of how to separate using that speed, whether it be man-to-man or zone coverage. And he also just, he, he like, he threw a couple nice, you know, moves at, at like the break point of routes too that caught my eye. I know he had the, again, the, the drop that was a really tough catch, but overall his hands have been pretty impressive. There's been a couple like bang, bang plays where he held onto the ball. I, like I said, I legitimately think they have something here. I think you can use him in some gadget type stuff. I, I have, I've been insanely impressed with Bo Melton these past few weeks and I don't know where he ultimately lands on the depth chart. It's a really fun conversation to have. You've got Christian, like when everyone's healthy and that probably just never going to happen apparently, but Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, Malik Heath, Bo Melton. You have six legitimate wide receivers right there. Malik Heath, by the way, I thought had a really nice week this week as well. Some of it didn't show up in like the box score or with big catches. He was aggressive blocking down the field. I, I just love watching that guy play football. He's so much fun. And then you know the other four. And again, Wixon and uh, Watson didn't play. Reed only played half the game. But they they have so much unique talent at that wide receiver group. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't really care if there's that true number one guy. In fact, I talked to uh, on this on my post game show and I talked to uh, about this uh, with Aaron Nagler as well. My favorite stat is that Bo Melton was the first player over hundred yards. And he would not have been had it not been for the fact that he was still in in garbage time when Sean Clifford threw a deep ball at the end of the game. That's how many different wide receivers and, and tight ends and running backs and options that Jordan Love in this offense has to go to. And it doesn't have to just be one guy and you don't know where it's going to come from. And the truth of the matter is I trust all of them. I trust all of them based on the assignments that they're given that they can get open and make plays. And that includes Musgrave and Kraft, the entire wide receiver core, uh, Aaron Jones, like they just have so many options, but I'll say it again. Bo Melton has caught my eye. Uh, it, like in a very significant way. I don't think this is just your like, oh, he's going to be like a number six wide receiver. Now, he probably slots in as a number five or six wide receiver. Uh, but regardless, he he's super talented and just keep an eye on him moving forward because I don't, like I said, this is back-to-back weeks that he had impressive days. And I think anytime they need him out there, I think he can continue to do this. I legitimately do. I don't think this is just a fluke. He's, he's a really good football player. So that's super exciting. All right. that I know that was uh, a breakdown of Melton in the game, but it obviously coincided with him getting added to the active roster. All right. Another thing that we learned on Monday was the official playoff scenarios for the Packers at its easiest, most simplest, win and you're in. And 
like I think everyone's probably pretty much on the same page here of like, hey, if you don't win, you you're eight and nine, you really don't deserve to get in anyway. Not deserve has nothing to do with it. If you get in, you get in. But I think everyone would like to see Green Bay get in on its own volition, win against Chicago at home, learn from their mistakes a, a season ago when they had that same opportunity against the Lions, didn't take advantage of it. I want to see them just go and win that game and then see what you can do in the playoffs from there. However, outside of ties, like we're going to get rid of all the tie scenarios where Green Bay ties the game. We're just going to assume that that doesn't happen. If they don't win and they lose the game, there are two other scenarios in which Green Bay could get in the playoffs. Green Bay loses, the Cardinals win against the Seahawks, the Lions win against the Vikings, and then the Falcons win against the Saints. If those things happen, again, Cardinals win, Lions win, Falcons win, Green Bay's in. The next one is the Packers lose, Cardinals win, Lions win, and the Panthers win against the Buccaneers. So probably less likely, I would assume Tampa would take care of business against Carolina. But the the Packers lose, Cardinals win, Lions win, Falcons win, isn't like insanely out of the realm of possibility. The Cardinals just beat the Eagles and the Seahawks are not playing good football right now. Like that's not out of the question. The Lions beating the Vikings, I would say is pretty much expected at this point. Not saying it's a guarantee to happen, but the Lions have something to play for. I know the Vikings are technically alive in the playoff race. Like they're done. They know it. And I would expect the Lions to win that game. The Falcons beating the Saints, that's a coin flip, uh, probably uh, leaning towards the, the Saints in that one. The Falcons have not been great as of late, but certainly not out of the question. What we will know it, prior to Green Bay's 3.25 p.m. kickoff on Sunday is if the Lions and either the Falcons or the Panthers won. All three of those games, again, Lions versus Vikings, Falcons versus Saints, and Panthers versus Buccaneers happen in the noon slate of games. So if the Lions beat the Vikings and either the Falcons or the Panthers win, Green Bay could go into that 325 slate needing just one of two outcomes. Either the Packers win or the Cardinals win. And if Green Bay does not start strong and the Bears have some sort of lead, you could start scoreboard watching against the Cardinals, uh, or I should say against the, the Seahawks and the Cardinals to see if the Cardinals are actually winning in that game. They could backdoor their way into the playoffs that way. So I'll say it one more time though. Everyone just wants the Packers to win this game to get in, but there is one semi-likely scenario in my opinion. Cardinals win, Lions win, Falcons win, and Green Bay could still get in the playoffs that way. All right, next, let's talk about Jordan freaking love. Where do we want to start? Let's start with how he performed in this game. We'll we'll go through a couple of the things that, yes, we'll, we'll nitpick away. A couple of the throws he'd like to have back. I thought the opening throw of the game uh, was a bad decision. He threw into double coverage. I think if maybe the safeties read that a little bit different, maybe they could have made a play on the ball. Just not the right place to go in that situation. There's a play actually right before the Jaden Reed touchdown where he hits Reed on that gorgeous throw that Bo Melton's coming up the seam and he probably had the opportunity to hit almost the exact same throw to Bo Melton. And Melton was just, he was racing uh, up the seam and there was nobody there. Um, he checked it down, I think to the left instead. Uh, that's probably one he'd like to have back. I mentioned earlier the, the throw to Bo Melton on fourth down, where he, again, he probably just needs to put a little bit more air under it. The rollout play where he's got on the third down to Malik Keith and Malik Keith is, is wide open in the end zone. The, some of these are very tough throws and there's a lot of pressure on the day, but that's one if he puts a little bit more air under it, that's going to be a touchdown. I think one of the crazy things about this game is like Green Bay, I think could have put up 50 easily on Minnesota. That's how well they played on offense and they just missed a couple 
things by like a hair here or there. But there were a couple throws that Jordan would like to have back. There's the deep ball to Jaden Reed on the third and one uh, late in the first half where I think everyone was just like, why aren't you just taking the, the you know, throwing it or running it and getting the first down? But I thought Jaden Reed had maybe an opportunity if, if Love led him in the right direction, didn't throw a, a great ball in that situation. There was a couple plays that Jordan would like to have back. All right, those are those are your negatives and we'll get those out of the way. This was a fantastic performance from Jordan Love. We talked about this being a pretty big test from Minnesota's defense. I didn't think Minnesota's defense played great in this one, but they showed Jordan a ton of different things and a less experienced, less confident quarterback does not have the day that Jordan has against that Vikings defense. He picked them apart play after play after play. And Matt LaFleur deserves a ton of credit for having that offense prepared, having answers to what they needed to have answers for. Go back to that Chiefs game when Jordan started a couple seasons ago where there was so much pressure and they just didn't have answers on the play. They had answers, but it's imperative that Jordan knows those answers and knows exactly what to do. And that happens pre-snap, post-snap, and then reading the defense as the play goes along. And he did it all masterfully in this game. Sometimes it was just a throw to the flat to Tucker Craft. Sometimes it was a deep overarching throw to Bo Melton. Sometimes it was a seam throw to Jaden Reed. Sometimes it was knowing that he was going to have to bail in the pocket and throw off his back foot. There's a couple throws where he just put on an absolute line uh, on like a, a far deep out route where he stepped into it, put all his cleats in the ground and just absolutely ripped it on a line. He showed off so many different throws, angles, anticipation, again, knowing where to go with the football, complete command of the offense, complete control at the line of scrimmage. This is a first year freaking starter. I know we're in year four. I get that. There are quarterbacks that are in college that are his age, basically still like there are quarterbacks that were in this last draft that are older than him. He is still a young quarterback playing in his first season as a starter. He is just completing, you know, what, game 17 as a starter, 16 this year and, and one against the Chiefs a couple years ago. This is, We now basically have a full season of, of regular starts, again, if you include that Chiefs game for Jordan. And he is showing insane improvement over the course of this season in real time. That is the biggest thing for me with Jordan. Some of those hiccups that he had midway through the year and some of those mistakes, it was like, he was just like, ah, I'm going to just learn from that. I'm just not going to do that again. That doesn't happen. You just don't learn from it that quick. And we've seen him learn from all the mistakes. And when Brian and Matt going into the season, especially Brian just reiterated over and over, like Jordan just needs to play. The last step is he just needs to play. They were right. He just needed to play. He has been improving week after week, getting so much more comfortable, so much more confident, and he's faced a plethora of different defenses, pressure defenses, non-pressure defenses, cover four defenses, Fangio type schemes, blitz heavy schemes, cover three. He's faced everything and he knows where to go with the ball. And I go, I go back, here's sort of my evolution of Jordan through this season. I talked about this in training camp all the time. He knew where to go with the football. He was going through his progressions. He looked super confident within the offense. 
Then you open the season, and I thought that game against the Bears, the first three quarters against the Falcons, we saw a lot of that. The last quarter against the Falcons fell apart. The first three quarters against the, the Saints, we started to see some, some issues. The fourth quarter, he is able to come back and put enough plays together to go and win that game. Then the, the Detroit game came, and I thought the Detroit game and, and partially that Saints game were where we hit a, a roadblock. And what that roadblock was is in those first couple games, specifically the first seven quarters of the season, he didn't face a ton of pressure. And he knew he just sat in the pocket. He went through his progressions and he went through and it was awesome. Now, somewhat against the Saints, but especially against the Lions, they, he kept doing that. He kept going, just, all right, I can, all right, not going to go to that one, go to my next progression, but go to my next progression. But the Lions just kicked Green Bay's butt up front. And he was kept getting hit, kept getting tackled. And then all of a sudden he started panicking. He threw a couple picks and it, it just, he didn't adjust in that game. And then I thought you went through a stretch where he almost counter, like he almost sped up too fast. It was like, oh, before against Chicago and Atlanta, New Orleans and Detroit, I was playing just at kind of a calm collected pace, hoping that my offensive line was just going to protect and I could just keep going through my progressions. Now Detroit sped him up and I was like, he was just getting rid of the football and not necessarily going through his progressions as much, sometimes looking at the line of scrimmage a little bit more. And then right around that Steelers game is when he sort of found his sweet spot. And I thought the offensive line kind of settled down around that time. The wide receivers started to play with a little bit better attention to detail, including the tight ends, the running backs. And all of a sudden, Jordan found that sweet spot. And he found out when he needs to speed up his his clock, when he needs to slow down his clock, when he needs to go through his progressions, when he just needs to find his check down. But now he is seeing things like before they happen. And for that to be happening in year one is scary to think about. And he was ready for everything Minnesota threw at him. Again, he had every answer to everything they posed. He keeps getting better. His ability to learn from mistakes has been so freaking fun to watch. And he still has room to get better. And that is a scary thought. There's still a couple layups here and you know every now and again that he doesn't hit, that you'd like to see him hit with a little bit more regularity. Guess what? He's already done that through the course of the season. There's a quarterback who was in the 50% in completion percentages early in this year. And now like every game is in like what the high 60s, sometimes the 70% in completion percentage. He's already improved that. And I think it can honestly get better, especially as he kind of goes into the lab this off season, works on his footwork a little bit. His footwork's gotten better even in season. Um, just a real quick aside here. One of the things to really look at this offseason is, is Tom Clements back. I think that's a really important step for Jordan this offseason is to kind of keep that continuity there with his quarterback's coach. If he's not, uh, one opportunity for him uh, would potentially be your Chicago Bears offensive coordinator, who's likely going to get fired, Luke Getze. That could be a natural transition because uh, it sounds like Getze's probably going to be out in Chicago. Maybe things change if they, uh, you know, with the way they've been playing lately. But if he is out and Tom Clements decides to retire and hang it up, that could be a, a natural move there to, to get him back uh, in Green Bay and in that quarterback room. But man, it would be great to see Tom Clements back because he has done tremendous work with Jordan. And the last thing I'll say here, when Jordan was the last person back, I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter. I think Schneidman might have posted it, but Brian Gutekinds was waiting for him, and they had this great moment in in you know in the tunnel as Jordan was coming back from uh, from the game. Brian knows it's just a matter of time now. He's the quarterback. He's the franchise. He's the guy. There's there's no going back. It's going to happen. The only remaining question is how much. How much money is he going to get? 
How many years is he going to get? This will be a big time contract that gets done in the offseason. Jordan Love is the face of the franchise. He's your future Q, he's your current and future QB1. That's not going to change anytime in the near future. And he has earned it every step of the way. What a season already from Jordan Love. One big test left coming up against the Chicago Bears, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Hey, friends. I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found game time. Game time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. Game time is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using game time, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, the other player that we really need to talk about from this game is Jaden Reed. That dude's playing through injuries. He is fast. He is dynamic. He is explosive. He looks like a punt returner when he gets the ball in his hands. His ability to run through contact at his size, plus have the jets that he has. What a fun, fun player to watch week in and week out. And I tweeted it and I meant it. This is the worst the the love to to read connections probably ever going to look. And that's a scary thing to think about as well. Reed's going to only continue to get better. He will grow as a more nuanced wide receiver. Jordan Love's going to continue to get better. Reed's going to be healthier as time goes on. He's been banged up all throughout the course of this season, and he's still making these plays. Now, his injury is going to be huge to monitor this week. They need him against Chicago in this really tough Bears defense. 
but the ability to have somebody like Jaden to get the ball in his hands and just immediately become a playmaker, that has been something that has been so lacking from this Packers offense. We know Aaron Jones can be a playmaker. Watson has some of that ability, and we've seen it now with some of these other receivers and tight ends, but he just has it at a different level. And it is, you know, you get the ball in his hands. It's just fun to watch. And that's desperately been, you know, what Green Bay has been needing from a run after the catch standpoint. Reed showed it off again this week. Hopefully he can play in full next week and and fight through the injuries that he's fighting through. Uh, I'm sure it's not pleasant at the moment for Jaden, but he's, as Matt LaFleur mentioned, as tough as they come. I expect that there's any way he can play, he will. And he continues to get better week in and week out as well. That is a connection that is going to be fun to watch for the foreseeable future. All right, let's talk about this Packers defense. I want to start with turnovers. Um, This Packers defense clearly looks a whole heck of a lot different when they're getting turnovers. Now, the first one, right, the interception, a little bit lucky here. You get a bounce that goes your way off the tight end's hands, bounces up, Corey Ballantyne, right place, right time, and makes a nice play on the ball as well, picks it off. I thought that was a huge play in the game. And then the the Preston Smith, you know, sack fumble, uh, and then recovery by Carl Brooks. That was another, that was a big time play. That was one that Green Bay forced. And sometimes as we always hear, and I don't think it's cliche, I don't think it's false. Sometimes these turnovers come in bunches. Green Bay, if they want to put anything together, you know, win against the Bears and then see what happens in the playoffs, they're going to need those turnovers. They played better this week. They really did. It's an offense against Minnesota. Their offense played pretty crappy in this game. You had a plethora of penalties on Minnesota. Jaron Hall was not the answer at quarterback. Mullins came in. He had a couple flashes here or there. They, they just could get nothing going. But credit Green Bay's defense. I thought this is one of the most sound games they played all season long. Joe Barry brought some more pressure which I thought was a a good thing. And I thought it was more creative pressure and it was married up with defensive concepts in the backfield that made sense. And I think that was a big step. And I thought the other thing, and I talked to to Aaron Nagler about this as well, I didn't feel like they were trying to do too much. It felt like everyone was very assignment sure, communicating everything. It wasn't simple, but it wasn't super complex either. And it just, it felt like for the first time, all really in year, I don't know. I, I I couldn't think off the top of my head of another example of this from Joe Barry, where it was just a very sound and again, not simple, but just a, a, a really smart, simple-ish game plan that the team could go out and execute. They brought enough pressure to keep Minnesota on their toes. It was not super predictable. Everyone communicated, you know, communicated everything effectively. And I just really liked how Green Bay went, you know, about their business. In fact, a couple of the only plays where, you know, Minnesota is able to make things happen is when guys kind of went out, like Rashawn Gary on the first play of the game, you know, kind of goes out and ignores his assignment, doesn't stay uh, on, you know, you know, keep contain and the quarterback gets out and runs for six yards. There's a play like that at the end of the game as well. It was the one where Keyshawn Nixon almost picked off in the back of the end zone, but uh, Rashawn Gary gets sucked inside and, you know, uh, at that point, Nick Mullins has the opportunity to roll out. Thankfully, the coverage was sound in that situation. But outside of a couple of plays like that, I, I thought everyone really just did their job. This, the old Bill Belichick, just do your job. Don't try to do too much. Don't get out of your assignment. Just do your assignment. And it it felt like this very simple, not, nobody was making major mistakes. Everyone was where they were supposed to be. The opposing offense is going to make a play every now and again, but you're going to be in positions to make tackles. I thought Green Bay tackled better in this game. They were pretty sound in run defense. I like this game overall from the Packers defense. They deserve a ton of credit, even if it was against a pretty bad Minnesota offense. I thought there were two key plays for this Packers defense. 
The one was when Green Bay had the turnover on downs, that fourth down play from Love to Melton, and Minnesota gets the ball back, right? And they matriculate the ball down the field, as Andrew Merteg said the other day. Uh, they get down the field, and it just felt like, oh, Minnesota's going to go score a touchdown, and this game should be like 17 or 21 nothing, and instead it's going to be 10 to 7 Green Bay. But Green Bay held strong. They forced Minnesota to take a, like a 53 or 54-yard field goal. Now, credit to Minnesota for making that, but that was a deep field goal attempt. Uh, they did convert, but it, it wasn't 10 to 7. It was 10 to 3, and it kept Green Bay with that seven-point lead. And then Green Bay's offense just kind of took off even from there. And then it was game over. But I thought that was the first one. If Minnesota goes down and scores a touchdown and makes it 10-7, you have a much different ball game. And then I thought the other one, you know, Green Bay obviously was able to get that big lead at halftime, but Minnesota gets the ball to start the half and they go with Nick Mullins. And Mullins gets them down there. It's a 10-play, 48-yard drive, but it stalls out on a fourth down opportunity. And they go four and out, or not four and out, but they, they turn over the ball on downs. And that, I thought, was the other big one where Green Bay just kind of shut everything down right there and said, no, you're not going to get back in this game. We're just going to control this game from here on out. Those are the two big drives for the defense. And I asked this question of Aaron Nagler, and we talked a little bit about this as well, but I'm really interested to see how this defense reintegrates Jair Alexander into it because I kind of really liked how they played this past week. Corey Valentine had a, a great week, and uh, Valentine had a good week as well. I thought Nixon had a pretty solid week. There weren't many players on defense who didn't have a good game in some capacity. There were a couple. We'll go over that in just a second. But um, I'm interested to see. And I, I honestly think this week against Chicago, it seems like Jair and Valentine might be their, their preferred with Nixon. I think Chicago is a physical football team. They're going to throw a lot of those little screens to the outside to DJ Moore. They're going to run a ton and they're going to run right at your corners. And we know Justin Fields is going to be somebody that you've got to tackle in the open field. I don't like Jair and Carrington uh, Valentine as your two primary outside corners in this game. Neither of them tackle well at all. I think Corey Ballantyne needs to be one of your starters this week. And then how you, my guess is it probably just needs to be Jair and and uh, Ballantyne, but I'm going to be really interested to see. And I would like to see maybe, if it were me, I would probably go Jair, Ballantyne, and then um, and then Nixon, and then in an obvious passing situation where maybe like the tackling stuff and the run defense isn't going to be as important then maybe you get Valentine in for Valentine, or maybe you get Valentine in for Nixon. Maybe you platoon Valentine and Valentine a little bit. But I think on early downs and in, in some of those situations where you might see some of those wide receiver screens, I think Valentine might need to be in this game against Chicago. So very interested to see how they reintegrate Jair into the mix. And then really a couple, you know, couple quick notes on special teams. The Samori Torre decision, just dumb all the way around. That needs to be Keyshawn Nixon. Now maybe Nixon, like, I don't know, maybe just needed a rest. Who knows? Maybe he just got the wind knocked out of him. We we don't know the full story there. And if Samori's the next one up, he's the next one up. That That is what it is. But if Nixon was available, that needs to be Keyshawn Nixon. I know he had the fumble a couple of weeks ago, but give me the experienced guy in that situation. And then the second thing is, if no matter what, but especially if that's Samori Torre, that needs to be a, hey, Samori, you are fair catching this no matter what. I don't care what the situation is. We are up big in this game. We don't need a big return. They've got a great dynamic gunner. Just fair catch that thing. Catch it clean. Eye on the ball. And let's get the offense back on the field. 
Instead, in a game that was game set match already, you give Minnesota a little bit of breathing room with that. It, two plays later, I think it's a it's a touchdown to Johnny Munt. And all of a sudden, I think it was, what, 30 to 10 at that point? Now, Green Bay did a great job on offense going down and taking a bunch of time off the clock and getting a field goal on their next drive just to say, no, you're not going to come back in this. But, you know, with a full quarter to go, only up 20, you know, things definitely change than when you're up 27 and you're about to have the ball. It's it's game over. You have the opportunity to bleed more time off the clock, and they haven't showed anything on offense all day. And instead, you basically gift them a touchdown. That was a, a bad mistake. And like I said, he has to know in that situation, just fair catch that thing. And then the mix, missed extra point, just very disappointing. Fifth on the year. That's far, far, far too many extra points. And as Aaron Nagler and I discussed as well, it would seem like in the next offseason, there needs to be some, you know, some sort of competition for Anders Carlson. Hopefully, Carlson responds to that and he just becomes a really great kicker and, and learns from his mistakes this year. But uh, it just needs to be a bit more consistent. I'm not saying it's well out of the realm of like where it should be for a rookie kicker. There's going to be some learning curve that's expected there. But I definitely think some competition should be at least in the fold come training camp next year. Injuries were another key part of this and something we're going to have to continue to keep an eye on this week. We already know all the names that didn't even play in the game and are continuing to be monitored, but uh, Preston Smith got hurt. He did return for a couple of plays. Elton Jenkins, I posted, he actually got like rolled up on in the back of his knee. He played one more play and then got pulled out, or he, I think he took himself out uh, mid-series and then did not return to the game. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on. Remember, he has not been practicing and they've been trying to keep him fresh and, and not do give him too much wear and tear through the course of the week already. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on. Aaron Jones got a little bit banged up, but he did return. Isaiah McDuffie had the concussion. Josh Myers at the end of the game, of course, that's another one to keep an eye on. And then Jaden Reed, we already talked about with the, the chest, whatever it is, uh, he's probably banged up in like seven different ways, but a lot of injuries out of this game that with one play-in game remaining, like the, the injury list is going to be like 30 names long again this week, and it's going to suck for that reason. But they've they fought through a lot of it, and they're going to have to fought, fight through it again this week as they get ready to face the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field. All right, really quick, grades rundowns from this week. Top three offensive players, Jordan Love plus 2.3, Jaden Reed plus 1.25, Bo Melton plus 1.00. Three awesome grades for all three of those players. Aaron Jones was just a, a slight hair behind Bo Melton on this one as well. Uh, we went through all three of those players already, so no need to expand there. My bottom three on offense, through about eight plays left in the game, somewhere right around there, I only had one player grading in the negative and it looked like it was going to stay that way. And then you had Royce Newman come in and uh, Patrick Taylor had a couple plays here or there too, but Josh Myers, negative 1.15. And I cannot stress this enough. His first half of football in this game was the worst half of football I've seen in a long time and was the worst I thought any player played any half this season. Now, credit Josh for bouncing back in the second half. He had a positive grade in the second half you know, it wasn't good. It was like a slightly above average and his day as a whole was really bad. He was the only, like basically the only real player that played in this game that graded in the negative and he was a negative 1.15. It was a frustrating game to watch. He got just pushed back into the quarterback all day long, struggled as a run blocker, just a, like I said, a brutal first half, a slightly positive second half, got, got back ingrained in things a little bit but they need him to play much better. That injury is going to be interesting as well. But 
you can't have one guy that's just like every, everything was working perfectly except one guy right in the center, literally, of your offense. Uh, that, that continues to be a problem. Royce Newman, negative 0.2. Patrick Taylor, negative 0.1. Those are the only other negative grades. Uh, top three defensive players, Preston Smith, 0.75. Couple of really great plays in this game, but of course the sack fumble was the big one. Devontae Wyatt really, really liked how he played in this game, plus 0.45. If you go back and watch this one, watch him with a little bit more of a keen eye. A lot of the stuff that he did didn't show up in the box score, but he he's moving extremely well right now. It, there's, there's a feel with Devontae Wyatt where it's like, it's this close. It's this close. If he can just like find a way to like finish a couple of these plays. And if it, it, it's, it's this close, I'm dead serious. It is this close. And like all of a sudden, like you're, you're just waiting for this, like plus 1.4 game from Devonte Wyatt. I feel like it's coming. Um, but really like the, the game that he put together and he's, he's really coming on. And I think he's going to make a big time impact sooner rather than later. And then uh, who else in defense? Corey Ballantyne, plus 0.4, obviously the interception, but had, had a couple PBUs. The PBU on Justin Jefferson down the field on a, a deep ball was really impressive. Had a really nice day overall for Corey Ballantyne. Uh, my bottom three on defense, Kingsley Nigbare, negative 0.55. Tough day for him, just couldn't get off blocks. Brian O'Neill and uh, Christian Derrissaw are tough matchups, uh, but they they both got the better of Kingsley and Nigbare in the day. Rashawn Gary, negative 0.2. I mentioned those two plays that he sucked in on. Uh, you take those two away, he had a slight positive, but it's been a weird month and a half-ish for Rashawn Gary. Uh, he got his big deal. He had, a, I think it was a really huge game, like right before that, uh, or maybe it was right after that, one of the two. And then he's been really, really quiet. And maybe he's fighting something, an ailment, who knows. But this past like month plus for Gary has been extremely quiet. In fact, he has a negative one point something, like negative 1.2 or three grade somewhere in there over the course of the past five games. Just has not been the same at all. They need a much better Rashawn Gary moving forward. And then Darnell Savage, negative 0.15. Nothing egregious, but uh, just a couple plays, especially back in coverage. I thought he could have taken a little bit better angles on. But overall, uh, basically, like Josh Myers and Kingsley Nigbari were really your only two negative players in this game. Negative 0.2 for Royce Newman and Rashawn Gary. Newman only played the last eight snaps. Uh, Rashawn Gary had some nice plays in the middle, and that's basically like a neutral type grade. Same thing with Savage and Patrick Taylor. So it was really kind of just Enigbari and, and Josh Myers. All right, last but not least, uh, not the same Bears team that they're going to face, uh, that they faced earlier this season. They're five and two in their last seven games with Justin Fields as a starting quarterback. Their defense has been on absolute fire since acquiring Josh Sweat, or sorry, not Josh Sweat, that's a Philadelphia Eagle, Montez Sweat uh, from the uh, Commanders. They are playing good football, as much as that sucks to say. Their defense, like I said, is night and day different from where it was in week one. They had a three-game stretch to start the season that was as ugly as could possibly be. They had a bunch of drama. It, it looked like this was going to potentially be like a 2-14 and 14 season for Chicago. They are a game back of Green Bay. And th this is a team that is, like I've said these past couple of weeks, is going to be a pain moving forward. They've got the number one pick in the draft. And I guarantee you they are gearing up. Jalen Johnson's been very adamant that they've that they're ready to play Green Bay. They want this game. They they're feeling this rivalry. Chicago is. Now there have been a lot of times where Bears teams have talked that smack in the past and it hasn't really worked out. But Green Bay is gonna have to be ready for this team. And uh they've they've played they've played good football. Their two losses were you know, they barely lost to Detroit, they barely lost to to Cleveland, uh, who are both playoff teams. And they've won their other games as a lane, again, especially since Justin Fields has come back. 
Green Bay is going to have to put one of their best games of the season together in all sincerity to get past Chicago in this one. And don't be surprised if Chicago has a couple of trick plays up their sleeves, fake field goals, fake punts, flea flickers, who knows. But I have a feeling they're going to throw the absolute kitchen sink at Green Bay this week. All right. That I think is going to do it for me. A huge shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, PJ Wayne, Most Hated Minnesota, and John Wilde, Shea Dad, Arnaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, and MB1023. Like I said, if you have not checked out Packaday Podcast memberships yet, make sure to do so. A ton of great options out there. I will be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. So you're not going to want to miss it. Subscribe, like, comment, do all those great things. Give a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those, but I'll see you tomorrow. Until next time, and as always, go Paco.